0: Electric bicycles are my jam. I'm turning into a nut for a good e-bike. It's easy to get around, we save gas, not driving our car for short trips to the store, and I'm getting a little extra exercise. The folks at Velatric are sponsoring a series of videos on my channel to show off some affordable e-bikes and help people get up to speed. It's easier than you think, and prices have never been more competitive. You can catch those videos on my YouTube channel, but if you're interested in shopping an e-bike, head over to velatric.bike slash some gadget guy and look at their road bikes and fat tires. Again. V E L O T R I C dot B I K E slash some gadget guy, velatric bike slash some gadget guy. If any of those bikes look good to you, you can save an additional sixty dollars off an already low price by using the coupon code some GADGET sixty, some GADGET six zero at checkout. Once again, velatric dot slash some gadget guy and coupon code some GADGET sixty, and I thank velatric for being a sponsor on this show. I believe this means we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGG QA podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. some gadget guy, the SGG of this terribly named podcast, but the QA... That's the important part. Question and answers. we have kind of a, a, an interactive conversation. It's, uh, it's why I like to hold my podcast on a Monday. We've seen some of the big tech stories over the last week, uh, some really big tech stories over the last week, and we can kind of sort out our feels and see where we want to go for this week. And uh, I'm always happy to see a, a crew here in the chat ready to have some fun conversations. H2O Taku, Simon Says Hypno, Ron Guido, Bionic Scoop, uh, Barry Johnson, J Man 150. I think we got a good group to get started with, and uh, yeah, hope everybody had a lovely weekend. Hope everybody uh got some downtime, some uh, some time to unplug. It was surprisingly rainy here in uh, Southern California, and uh, we were kind of cooped up, so we did a lot of like well, first of all, we did a lot of comfort food, just like stews and chili and stuff like that, because it was kind of cold and rainy and wet, and that's the perfect weather for that. But then we were just like playing tons of card games and board games and stuff, so it was it was a really lovely weekend. Um, hopefully, everybody else got a little downtime too, with uh, whatever inclement weather you might be experiencing in your region of the world. As those headlines have been very concerning, so uh, we've got a we've got an interesting show. Um, oh, Paul, Paul, Paul is here. So now we can really get started. Paul, Paul was letting us know that it, it, this is now, now we can finally begin. <laughs> What's up, Paul? How's it going? We've got Mountain Dulu saying hello. Um, we've got Caribou Roder, I believe, is the name from Toronto. First time on the live chat. Welcome, welcome. And uh, oh, Simon says, Hypno says, we had a tornado alert and storm. Um, thankfully, we, I mean, we had some high winds and rain, weather for Southern California, not weather for, like, you know, the Midwest, but even then, we've had some power flickers, we've had some brownouts, I'm hoping everything, I hope everything is okay with the stream, because twice I've tried to get into restream, and it was like, oh, something got disconnected, so if this stream suddenly just goes dark, I do apologize, we're stapling this podcast together and duct taping it and gluing it as best we can. So, um we've got this I was going to say this is a this is kind of an interesting week of news. You know, in the ebb and flow of major announcements and major news cycles, you know, we, we kind of hit this peak and then we dip. Increasingly, you've heard, you you all have heard me complain about this before. Increasingly, that cycle is getting ratcheted by social media and uh, algorithms. Um, one example would be, I, uh, I was trying to experiment. I was trying to experiment. That's actually fitting. I, I wasn't experimenting. I was trying to. Um, I was experimenting on threads with doing a live reaction of Samsung Unpacked. So Samsung Impact was last year. They took the wraps off the Galaxy S24 Ultra. They told us almost nothing about the S24 and S24 Plus, except that it wasn't as nice as the Ultra. And during that conference, usually I would go to something like Twitter, and you have top-level posts as reactions. Threads is built on this promise of threading a conversation, so, my experiment was I wanted to see what would happen if I did a top level post saying, Hey, let's have a chat. Let's see what we enjoy or let's make fun of Samsung. You know, all the things that we do during a live event. And I only replied to that top level post. Well, threads is algorithmically sorted. So, I have not that many. I have like 2,200 followers on threads, which is not a lot. Um, But that seems to equate to Thread's algorithm that once I get about five likes on a post, I'm pretty much done. That post kind of just vanishes. So that top-level post got about five likes, and then no one saw anything in that thread after that point. None of those other replies or posts were uh, algorithmically valuable, so I, I, I did the whole event. <laughs> I live reacted. I was talking to nobody, but that's, that, that was the experiment. So I will probably never use threads ever again for any kind of topical or uh, uh, live kind of in-the-moment reaction sort of conversation. It is by design antithetical. To the uh, the in the in the moment sorts of reactions that we used to, I mean, it was one whatever cesspool you encountered on Twitter. Twitter was really good at something is happening, we're talking about it right now, and this is where we're organizing that thread, that conversation. So, um, Threads is the opposite of that, <laughs> and and like the only thing I could figure is if I use Threads the way I used Twitter. It might have been better. I would have maybe gotten five replies, or I mean five likes, on each one of those reactive posts, but it would have been way more spammy, and it would have been impossible to try and organize a conversation lining up with the event, because then it's all, again, algorithmically sorted. So let's say one of my posts just blows up. It's taken out of the timeline of how you you might have watched Samsung Unpacked. So I was very disappointed, <laughs> but it was a useful experiment just to know. Never going to do that ever again. I'm never going to waste my time trying to uh, trying to figure that out. Um, oh, Paul! The wind knocked down my lawn chair. We will rebuild. <laughs> Simon says hypno. They're threading water. <laughs> Bedoomts. <laughs> Nailed it. I love a good dad joke in the morning. Smells like napalm. So, um, this is an interesting week of news because we've had some time to sit with some of these headlines. We do have a couple news stories that I feel are really important. And this is going to be kind of the reaction and the responses as we've come through. So, especially as we're going through this and we want to have that chat, if you're in the chat right now, I'm, I'm hoping to lean on some of these reactions and we can converse. Uh, But if you're catching this on the replay crew, always appreciate sharing and reviewing podcasts, wherever you might review podcasts, bring a new cool tech people to the fold. You know, we're here every Monday morning. Um, And this is, uh, I believe we're celebrating a month. I believe it's now a month of me not promoting the show on Twitter anymore. So the more that we can help spread the word, I would, of course, greatly appreciate um, all of that support, all of that help. So uh, let me get this out of the way right here. Oh, JMX Warriors here. He's saying, afternoon, everyone. And Diago, what's up? Hey, everyone, says Diago. And I do want to get a little housekeeping out of the way. So let me screen share here, because I think I forgot to set up my browser. I'm Again, why I need some help sharing and doing stuff, because I'm real good at doing the podcast. There we go. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. I got two major videos out last week um, that were a lot of fun to put together. I'm building up to something that we still can't talk about today, but we'll probably be able to talk about tonight and it'll probably be swarming your YouTube feed tomorrow. So I do apologize when you get to tomorrow and your YouTubes are all on one. <laughs> topic for just an afternoon. Sorry, uh, with all of the inclement weather that we've been discussing, you know, like uh, Paul's uh, uh, horrific experiences with his lawn chair furniture getting knocked over by the wind, I feel like this is a really good time to look at home emergency prep gadgets. And uh, the folks at All Powers sent over their R600. This is like a little lunchbox sized, well, a little bit bigger than a lunchbox. I guess my lunchbox is... Big because I have issues with portion control um the all powers r600 solar generator review but it's a little hand uh hand handled <laughs> it's got a little handle on it so you can pick it up and carry it like a lunchbox um, but a little mini portable battery that you plug into solar panels and it is a a, a really solid option for around the home use, and then sort of that emergency prep, right? It's smaller. It's not going to power your refrigerator in your kitchen, but if you've got like a little portable travel cooler or something like that, really good, good solution there. You probably keep a TV running for the length of an average movie, maybe not, uh, you know, a Scorsese flick. While I've made several videos highlighting and reviewing these types of products, it's not always singular to the product, as this is a conversation that I think is broadly compatible and a lot of people will hopefully be looking up for this kind of information as we think about a more varied power strategy. In a lot of areas of the country, I know folks have already invested in things like gas-powered generators. Gas-powered generator is great. But if you're using a CPAP machine in the middle of the night and your power cuts, you need some kind of battery backup. And what if your battery backup could also be part of your bug out kit if you ever needed to evacuate? Like where we've been hearing about having tornado warnings and you need to get out or you need to hunker down, you want to have something that's maybe a little bit more modular. Also, unfortunately, in this kind of uh, current climate where some people can prepare and others might not be. Um, maybe you don't want to be generating as much noise off of a gas power generator. So these little, uh, uh, these little batteries and even into the bigger crate batteries, I think are, and I think they're an exciting evolution in that power management conversation. So while this is obviously focused on reviewing this one product, I'm hoping that this is sort of expanding some of the conversation for people who maybe don't have as much experience or haven't checked out something like that before. So the other one, I just needed to revisit some audio geekery, and uh, I, the folks at Shanling sent over their UA4. It's a little mini USB DAC. Um, I was very impressed with this performance, and uh, Tiny Little Shell does a really good job of powering decently thirsty headphones, and just real little, I, I actually have it back in the, the bookshelf right now where I held it up, but it's real teeny. Um, but this is also just kind of that exciting step for folks who like good cabled audio. Maybe you've got really nice headphones, really nice earbuds, and being able to set up uh, a very high quality audio file grade listening experience and uh, with a new chip. So, this was also kind of a first look at the new audio processing unit. I don't think they call it that because that would be an APU. <laughs> Sorry, I'm amusing myself on my own show. Um, but yeah, just a, a, a cute little uh, DAC that does a really good job of powering headphones. And it helped me revisit my ribbons. So I reviewed the Cineaptic, really funky ribbon headphones, not dynamic drivers, not planar magnetics, not electrostatics, ribbons, like old school ribbon microphones. And in my review of the Cineaptics, I was complaining that on some, especially on fem- female singers, there's some sibilants that can come across as piercing or brittle. Might not have been the headphones. Might have been the DACs I was using to test those headphones. So, always just kind of a nice, fun evolution to say, like, hey, when I use this, I get to revisit that. It wouldn't you know? I was probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we've got a couple. JMX Warrior says, yeah, I've recently dumped threads. Unfortunately, just because of the nature of like how I do business, Threads is probably going to become... I, I would prefer it be Mastodon, because then we won't have these issues when Threads continues to get impupified. In, in um, and we know that's going to happen. It's already happening now. Where I go into my Threads, and if I've looked at one thing, this algorithm starts dumping like content into my feed... And we know that it's already ratcheting people to more divisive and argumentative interactions because Facebook knows if you keep people miserable and angry, then they will stay on your platform longer arguing with other people. It's already happening. So I I still wish more geeks would just come over to Mastodon. We could make like a little geek circle on Mastodon and share really good content on Mastodon. And that that would be a lot healthier for all of us, but dragging people to think about their own mental health and appreciation for the content creators they say they like is proven to be an impossible challenge. (laughs) No one wants to do it. So I'm on threads, and I'm probably going to stay on threads, but that's going to be it. I'm going to be looking at threads as I'm I'm only here because I'm contractually obligated to be here, And I'm only sharing stuff for work because I'm contractually obligated to share stuff for work. And I'm not going to be looking at it as an authentic or earnest place to engage and converse with other people. Because otherwise, all I get is really divisive garbage. And I'm following a few of my friends keep falling for it. I've got one friend in particular. I really like this guy he does not understand that he has completely fallen for the threads algorithm where every other post of his is, Hey guys, why can't we all just like get along and like, you know, just like what you like. And isn't that fine. And then literally in the next post from him, will be look at this idiot who left a comment on one of my videos. What an, what an idiot. And you're like, you're just so thirsty for likes and engagement. And (sighs) And that's Threads. That's Threads is, is guiding us towards every interaction has to be conflict, hostile, argumentative. You, I'm thinking of switching to an Android. What do you think, iPhone guys? And that's low-hanging fruit. You, you know the second someone says that, it's not really an earnest conversation. It's someone who's looking to gin up a reaction from a fan base. And they know... They'll get haters from both sides coming into their comments just to argue, and they get points on social media for doing the engagement. That's doing the engagement now. So yeah, JMX, I, I'm, I'm not going to fault anyone for leaving threads. It, you know, I, I believe I've been hanging out with you on Mastodon, so you're probably doing it right. <laughs> Yard twenty eighty four. Good evening, Juan. Hope you're doing well. We're doing really well. I'm I'm only into my second cup of coffee, so I don't know if I'm properly caffeinated
1: enough yet. But hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll keep the energy on this show going. It'll it'll be fun. I did the exaggerated like you know ah,
0: face, even though I muted the mic, and then I almost choked on my coffee. <laughs> Oh, go Scream. Galaxy S24 searches have plummeted. Color me shocked. (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking about that in in a bit here. Uh, Dr. Claw saying the only thing about the S24 that interests me is the S24 Ultra has a flat screen finally. Uh, Simon says have no flat screens for the win. I really wish we could just walk away from this curved screen trend. And if we need to just shave some of the resolution on the sides, if you need a skinnier device, you can't tell me that a hundred pixels on a quad HD uh, resolution display is really gonna make that profound of a difference. And I can tell you it doesn't make that profound of a difference because I really like what Google did with the Pixel 8 Pro, shaving some resolution on the sides (laughs) seems to give me an equally thin device and a flat screen. So, I'm with y'all right there. Um, YAR2084, what is more beneficial to you, Juan? A Prime sub on Twitch or a YouTube Premium subscriber viewing your stream? Um, both of them are very nebulously monetized through the black box of CPM metrics on YouTube and Twitch, respectively. The thing that would give me the best benefit is if you could chip a buck... Every now and then over on the Patreon, I, I feel like the best value is maybe a buck a quarter. And then you get my benchmark articles, my community posts, and my camera deep dives. And then you don't need to spend a dollar every month, but like you could support to $4 a year and just check in periodically throughout the year would probably be the absolute best uh support for both of us, right? Like I feel I've delivered four dollars a year worth of entertainment, and those four dollars, I get a a a bigger chunk of those four dollars from Patreon directly than any other engagements on Twitch or YouTube or any other style of monetization. So yeah, it's one of the reasons like I'm not even streaming this podcast. On my YouTube channel because when I do podcasts on youtube.com slash Juan Bagnell, it hurts my channel metrics. So TK and I have both said, hey, we need to do live streams and we need to do podcasts and we set up a separate channel. And of course that channel's not really growing. So um, we can't work that second channel with long form podcasts as hard as we're putting together um, individual videos. Like the main thing we want to focus on is reviewing gadgets and talking about it, tips and tricks, and really helping people get an understanding of what's out there. And that has to be on our main channels. So it, it's it's delicate when we start talking about like supporting and, and all of those things. But genuinely, I feel like a dollar a quarter, a dollar a half a year, a dollar a year, maybe just do January and catch up with everything I did in the year before. And I feel like that is a good value for for the money. <laughs> I very much appreciate the people that are supporting regularly and I don't ever want that to be a financial hardship. Um, I am trying to keep up with more of the behind the scenes and, and uh, diary posts and uh, community posts um, just to kind of help flesh out what's going on there. But the, uh, you know, I can't say I offer Netflix value every month. So maybe it doesn't make sense to, pay Netflix money every month. But there are other ways that you can kind of support on that side. Oh, JMX, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew we were talking on on Mastodon. That's great. Um, Dr. Claw, too much and poopification. It's a very consistent running theme, and some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Very in poopified. Um, that, that's, that's us making a Cory Doctorow term a little bit more PG, where you would replace the word poop with a more... Uh, aggressive word for that uh, but it's the same concept obviously where one of the stories I just added is exactly that situation where you start out with a really cool service and it's cool because it's cool and all the cool kids are hanging out at the cool service and then the cool service needs to make money and then the cool service gets kind of ratcheted and then it's not very cool so we, we can definitely chat about that. Um, JMX Warrior. It's just less toxic on Mastodon for now. It is less toxic, but there's also no guiding hand, so it can't. Mastodon can't get more toxic unless you fill your feed with more toxicity. That's what I, again. I, I it's a hard thing to explain. You go to Mastodon and it's stark and it's empty. And you have to make the feed that you want to see. But once you do, you're not getting exposed to things that you might find problematic or might find an issue with because you didn't put them in your feed. And that's, that's, the, that's the mental shift. We're so used to going to a website and saying, just serve me content. I deserve the content and you shall serve it to me. And Mastodon's like, well, what do you want to order? And you're like, I've not read the menu. <laughs> that's that's how I imagine my my friends who have like signed up for Mastodon accounts and then don't participate and they don't share anything. That's 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 exactly I think how they talk whenever they think about social media. Like uh, my buddies online. I'm not going to name names. You know who you are. <laughs> Hey, Muppinish, some live stream guy is on again. Yar 2084, I wish I could get on with Mastodon. Follow me on Mastodon. We can chat on Mastodon. We can at least get started there. The whole thing is just post and react. Follow a hashtag of a couple topics that you like. Do you like tech? Then follow hashtag tech and your feed will be populated with people serving tech. Oh, Al Sabakli, that's right. Um, the, so, there was a social media network called Elo, and I think it finally just, I, I might have this wrong. Please correct me if I do. Elo was completely, um, end of life. I think it's gone. Uh, but I was, I, I, I had completely spaced about Elo. I had an Elo account and I posted hard for like a month. I fizzled out on Elo. Uh, I did not realize Elo had been around for like 10 years. 10 years, 10 years. Um, crazy, just crazy. And, and again, it's just, we're seeing this cycle of social media. Th- this era of the web is pretty much over. Um, it's, uh, it, we're trying to figure out what social means in 2024. And this is going to be a very contentious year for how platforms and services try to guide user interactions. Gormlord, life's too short to spend it on irritating content. Uh, I'm sorry you're in my stream's chat right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh sorry,
0: I'm I'm catching up on the on the uh on the chat here. Paul Wands doing the Shakespeare. <laughs> Just service me, social media website. You must provide me with content. <laughs> I'm finished. You need that. I've not read the menu as a short on your channel. Yo, I'll cut that one down. We'll, we'll do that. I don't do a lot of cutdowns from the podcast, but I really need to get better at doing stuff like that. Oh, man, that's hilarious. Um. yeah, Ghost Ice Cream, 2024 is the year where dead internet starts to become more of a reality than it had been, which is one of the stories that we've got. So I've got some news uh, stories here. Uh, I I I had other things to talk about. Let's cap housekeeping because I was just really enjoying kind of going through the chat right here. And like I said, this is going to be a more reaction and response heavy podcast. But before we get into me being really pissy with Apple... Um, And really pissy with Microsoft, uh, really pissy with Samsung. Um, Let me shift gears in my brain here for just a second. Before I get really pissy with Apple, I would like to highlight that today is kind of a special media marketing day. Uh, If anyone knows my history, I I come from a background of, uh, in, in Hollywood, directing sessions for commercial voiceover. Um, I used to work as a casting director and I did a lot of work as a commercial producer um, working more with the talent than like, you know, the, the cinematography or the video or anything like that. Throw an actor in my booth, I'd say, hey, buy soap at Walmart. And then they would do what I tell them to do and then I'd take that audio and slap it on a commercial. I have this passion for commercial work because in the past uh, commercials were these short form film experiments, they we We take for granted how commercials have kind of shaped the 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 eras of cinema that we see there's often something disruptive that happens in an ad which then gets expanded upon and then we see sort of the the output of that influence higher tiers of art um, it, You can kind of do something disruptive or aggressive in a commercial because it is by its very nature kind of disposable and it's not meant to last. But when something resonates, it becomes a part of the daily vernacular. You know, there are so many commercials out there where you can quote a line of a commercial and people who have never seen the commercial know the quote. And so today is a really special day in the world of tech because this is the literally today, January 22nd is the 40th anniversary of Apple's 1984 Super Bowl commercial. Uh and not not only just An incredibly important commercial for commercial sake, but also an extremely disruptive spot for how we talked about technology in a much more cinematic way. Also directed by Ridley Scott, just coming off, I think the year prior, was it 1982 that he directed uh, Blade Runner? Someone please Correct me. I I might have my dates wrong. It was either he directed Blade Runner a year before this spot or a year after. But you have a mainstream tech television commercial airing during the Super Bowl as an event that probably eclipsed the Super Bowl. I, I, as a nerd... Know this commercial better than what happened during the 1984 Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't know who was playing in the 1984 Super Bowl, <laughs> and it just set a tone and a conversation that I feel Apple has been um, has been sort of embracing for 40 years. This commercial stands as, I believe, the the first primary example. Of an underdog tech company taking a shot at a Goliath, you know, back in the day, IBM compatible computers, and making it a divisive us versus them. Think different, be creative, step outside the norm. All of the conversation that leads us into the current era of Apple today, which is also now in a toxic way, as Apple has become a market leader and is one of the top sellers of tech in their industries, now I believe is abusive and uh, divisive. You know, we can almost chart a line from woman running through a stadium of drone-like, poor, slob human people to throw a sledgehammer into the face of Big Brother. We can track that almost linearly, year by year, to Green Bubble versus Blue Bubble, uh, just buy your mom an iPhone, right? This is such a complicated set of feelings, because when, when I was four years old, my family had a VHS copy of this commercial. And I don't think we recorded it. I think a neighbor had recorded the Super Bowl on, on like beta and we had a copy of just this on VHS. Like, it it was like one of those things, like, if you were a computer nerd in the early 80s like I was and your first computer only ran DOS, there was a very healthy community of people doing shareware and trading disks and copying programs and even the tech on this, we were the people that were ahead of the curve on, you know, you could hook up a beta to a VHS and copy <laughs> something and make copies that other people could watch. So we had a copy of this. I have, I only remember seeing the copy of a copy, blurry VHS cassette of this iconic television commercial. And to me, it was just the most amazing thing. I remember watching it over and over, watching it, repeating it, watching it, rewinding it, watching it, rewinding it so i uh, i'll I'll share a link in uh in the show notes for this for this week's video there have been a couple of these but i found one um and i'm going to link to this instead uh, about a year ago uh retro recipes uh did a four k restoration or, f- or they at least posted i don't know if they actually did the restoration they might have just uh reposted it um but it's upscaled uh using uh a i and topaz labs um and it's a pretty good uh, restoration and upscale. I know it's using a lot of AI trickery and it's kind of painting in information that wasn't exactly available from those original broadcast tapes, but it looks really cool. And, and you see little details in there that you've never seen before if you've only if you're like me, you're only familiar with the VHS rips. So 40 years, 40 years of Apple defining a narrative and, con- and continuing a conversation with consumers, that I think has critically shaped uh, the landscape of technology today. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, it's just iconic. When you, when you catch that lightning in a bottle, it's a moment in time with a very specific message that disrupts a conversation, and we remember it forever. People born 20 years after this thing aired are aware of the impact That one single commercial that aired once during the Super Bowl had on a huge population of of tech consumers. Hey, podcast listeners, I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones. Sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Oh, Simon Says Hypno, Uh, do I detect a new round microphone? So this is, um... This is my Blink Me. I did a video on the Blink Me last year, um, but I'm trying to shake it up. I like my Rode mics. Unfortunately, one of my Rode mics battery puffed, and I need to see if I can replace that battery. So right now, for the, for the live streams and for the podcasts, I'm using the Blink Me um, while I sort of figure out what to do with my Rode uh, Gormlord, yeah, commercials are really cool. Unless it's the Geico Caveman television show. <laughs> that was less good. Absolutely spot on, Gormlord. You were completely correct. <laughs> Simon Says Hypno, okay, I was right. Simon Says Hypno, 1982. Blade Runner was in 1982. So just imagine what that must have been like. Blade Runner, kind of a commercial, not exciting box office, right? Blade Runner was a bit of a, a challenge. It, w- it wasn't a commercial flop, but it wasn't a massive, crazy success, even though it's influenced so much in science fiction storytelling. and But this incredible science fiction achievement, and Apple goes out and gets that director to do a mini movie of 1984, and it's, to me... I mean, because I, I, I occasionally reread 1984. It's a really easy book to just kind of page through and the last, uh, like, four words of the book are the most, like, disheartening things you'll ever read. Um, when I imagine the world of 1984 in the book, I can't separate that from the visual imagery
1: <laughs> of the,
0: the Apple Super Bowl commercial. Like the color tone and the palette, and like the people who are you know, like shaved, bald heads and wearing breathers and things like that. I, Ridley Scott in an Apple commercial has defined for me what dystopian future sci-fi looks like through an Apple commercial. <laughs> oh, thank you, Simon Says. says it was the Redskins versus the Raiders, and I don't even know who won. Because I didn't know who played before you told me who played. I <laughs> love it. Um, JFR, I'm curious to know what that shirt said. I don't know what shirt. You mean the shirt that the woman's wearing in the Super Bowl spot? If you catch the 4K remaster, I'm not going to be able to figure it out here on the live stream. Um Simon says no absolutely Blade Runner still looks amazing. Um it's uh it's such an accomplishment and and it's like a, a handful of those films like Blade Runner and then also like Jurassic Park, right? Movies that absolutely stand the test of time and through just the most incredible special effects work and attention to details that they last forever. It's it's just really Oh, ghost star screen my shirt? Oh, my shirt's funny. Here. My shirt says, I'm sorry, but I cannot provide the requested response as it goes against OpenAI's content policy. So I made this shirt. Well, I didn't make the actual quote. The quote is something that's popping up all over the web right now because the web is garbage and people are just lazily trying to use AI to do translations and stuff. But I, I did the little graphic and stuff and I put it up on a shirt. I'm all proud of me. It's like I did a thing and I'm wearing it. <laughs> So uh, just a really special, uh, we're going to move on from there. But I just, um, oh, JFR, my shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I meant your shirt, my bad. Yeah. Um, I I made a little open AI joke shirt. I'm just kind of proud of me. Like my gimp skills in making an error window. (laughs) So if you want, I I, I did post it up. I mean, like I, I don't do a lot. But there's like a little merch store that you can find on somegadgetguide.com. If you watch this on Twit, I think it's already updated on Twit. If you watch this on Twitch, I think it's already updated under the video on Twitch. I don't do a whole bunch of little like plugins and stuff on Twitch because I'm really bad at doing the Twitch. But it should already be live there too. So just just a little bit of fun and something kind of silly. Um, but you know, I like I like in. Inside tech jokes. <laughs> Copycash. Exactly. That's what I was going for. It's a Windows XP error. <laughs> that's what I was looking to design it on, as old school as I could. <laughs> because I'm old and because I was alive when the 1984 Super Bowl
1: commercial from Apple aired. <laughs> All right. So we got to do a little follow up on a number of stories that have hit over the last couple of weeks.
0: I do want to point out um, last week what, we were into the last technically day and a half, but um, I completely it, it completely flew over my head. I, I spaced it. I was not paying attention. We finished up the next round of comments to submit uh, to submit comments, I should say, uh, to the FCC in regards to supporting net neutrality. Um, I, I, I very quickly scrambled to, like, try and share the links all over social media. I got a lot of people just sort of, like, liking and reposting, which was great. And I really do appreciate that, because I feel like this is an important part of the conversation where it's taken us so long to debate net neutrality, get it installed... Ajit Pai wrecked it in a year, and now we've got to rebuild all of that effort again. And I totally appreciate how that's exhausting to people, because it's such a stupid pendulum swing, kind of, oh, is a Republican in office? I guess we lose our net neutrality protections. Oh, is a Democrat in office? I guess we get them back. I mean, I, I got one comment from someone on Mastodon, actually, who was just like, whoa, but about freedom, and this is a regulation, and the regulation means the government's going to come in and take all your cheese. I don't think he really said that. I just stopped reading his rant after, like, five incoherent words had been stitched together. So I'm pretty sure he was a cheese nut, that the government is coming after your cheese, and that he's going to protect his cheese against the government by buying more cheese. I think that's what he was trying to say. Uh, It's so far the only impassioned uh, defense against net neutrality that I've read. (laughs) It's crazy cheese nut. Um, When I submitted my comment, when I submitted, uh, because I submitted a comment, when I submitted my comment, I believe there were only 40,000 comments on the FCC site. 40,000. The last time that we did the big push uh, to leave comments on net neutrality... Before um, Tom Wheeler's FCC had installed net neutrality, uh, I believe we had like a million. <laughs> so, from installing net neutrality to losing it to getting it back on the docket for the FCC, we've gone from over a million comments to 40,000, maybe 45 at the time that we hit the deadline which is not a lot of support for a very important piece of regulatory policy, which we never should have lost in the first place. Um, I was pretty disappointed in that kind of turnout. And I was really upset with myself because it's something that I would have been talking about over the holidays. You're going to go visit family and friends, sit them down, open up a laptop, just say, put in your name and submit this comment. And there was like a little form letter that I think did a great job of saying, hey, we wanted... Net neutrality, a fair and open internet with Title II regulation over communication. I believe internet is a basic human right now. you know, like I want internet to be treated like power and water, like telephone lines back in the day. It was a really great, simple thing. Uh, battle for the net and uh, I forget the organization that set up the site. Um, fight for the future. So um, I did... What, what was kind of nice is after submitting my comments to the FCC, I got a reply from my local, uh, not local, my uh, federal House member of Congress in my district. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bagnell. Thank you for contacting me to share your support for net neutrality. In Congress, I've been a strong supporter of net neutrality. A free and open internet has spurred countless innovations, created millions of jobs, contributed to a strong economy, and accelerated social and economic equality. Net neutrality has helped drive this growth, protected consumers, and been a catalyst for the free flow of information. This is why we need clear, consistent rules on net neutrality. Please be assured that I will keep in mind your views as I work with the Biden administration to address these issues and as Congress considers legislation in this area. Totally a form letter, right? This this Congress member didn't sit down, see that I had posted a comment on the FCC site and say, you know what? I'm gonna reply to this guy. (laughs) But it really drove home to me One of the good things about having some of these tools automated, I didn't actually go to FCC.gov to leave my comment. I went through another portal that simplified the process. Because if you really try to leave a comment on an FCC uh, proposal, it is very difficult. You have to know the proposal number. You put that into a field, and then you fill in all this information about yourself, and then you leave a comment. And if you do any of those steps wrong it doesn't properly get affixed to the proposal that you're trying to comment on. So there have been other tools, like John Oliver did this uh, for the first round of net neutrality conversations where he set up a website and it would automatically kind of portal that information over to the FCC, and Battle for the Net did the same thing. Along the same, At the same time, because that's a public comment, my local House member at least cared enough to set up some type of scraping tool to say, hey, if anyone from these zip codes leaves a comment in support of net neutrality, send them this form letter. That's such, that's cake. That's that's smart politics. <laughs> like, I know I haven't been seen by this member of Congress, but I also know that my house member took the time to set this up, and this is a topic that she seems at least somewhat interested in. So now I, I have a better idea, like in our next election, is this someone I'm going to vote to keep in this in this house seat? I care about net neutrality. She set up an automated tool to talk about net neutrality. I, She at least has better email skills than the previous... <laughs> congressional member, the previous congressional district member that I was in. So yeah, I guess she has my vote. <laughs> I mean, we can check out the rest of her voting record, but net neutrality is kind of a big one for me. So uh, it was just really disappointing. I feel like I should have been keeping a better eye on this because I knew this round wasn't going to get the same kind of attention as losing it during the Ajit Pai years and gaining it the first time. Because we had gone through the open internet order and Verizon suing the federal government and then the Tom Wheeler FCC and the Obama administration and there was so much divisiveness and conversation and it was really blowing up. People cared because they were more directly seeing things like, hey, when I try to stream Netflix – Verizon is shutting down my internet connection, but when Netflix tries to tell people that it's Verizon, Verizon threatens to sue them, and Verizon had just successfully sued the federal government over um, not letting uh, the open internet order succeed. So there was a lot of that kind of um, ire. There was a lot of that kind of frustration at the consumer level because we could see the impact of like, well, why doesn't my YouTube stream the way that it should on this computer, but it does on this computer and they're connected to the same div- the same network connection. So unfortunately, it's just exhaustion. There's so much going on in the world right now. I can't blame people. I- I'm not upset with just the citizens of the United States because... Man, I know net neutrality has got to rank a little bit lower right now with the prices of grocery goods skyrocketing and rent is skyrocketing and there are all these other challenges that we're facing right now. But it's still one of those that we've got to keep on the list, even if it's not at the top of the list. So, um... oh no, Gormlord. Uh, Gormlard says, I used the battle for the net link and I got a very canned response from my senator that didn't seem to be for or against it, just remarking that it's an important issue. Rolling eyes emoji. To me, that one would have been worth replying to to say, I will be supporting candidates that support net neutrality. Again, the senator's never going to see that. And I did not get a reply from a California senator I'm a little less concerned about that because California has some of the strictest net neutrality rules in the country. So I don't feel like maybe a senator is so anxious about a federal standard for net neutrality when we can kind of set a California standard for net neutrality. But it's one that I would reply to. If I got something kind of milk toasty, because also that to me... Okay, so here's what's funny. Let's say my member of Congress is really savvy at politics and is a little less ethical. I could see where you scrape all of the zip code comments and then you say, does this comment seem to be in favor of net neutrality? Send them an email saying, I too am in favor of net neutrality. Is this person against net neutrality? Send them the email where we're really thinking about the complicated and important issue that is net neutrality. I I wonder if you could get away with that. Because I don't know, in this news cycle, no one is going to sit there and say, well, from this one House member, because we have a lot of congressional members here in California, from this one House member, we seem to see uh, different replies to the net neutrality situation. Like, no news is going to cover that. No no news agency is going to make a big deal out of that. So Gornlord, the thing that would bother me is, your senator could have set up their own... Alternate email, or maybe that they they, maybe they did. Maybe for people who were hardcore against it, they got an email saying "Me too, net neutrality sucks." And then for people who were for it, like "Ah, yes, I'm totally considering the ramifications and the importance of the net neutrality." Uh, Maybe I'm actually not giving them enough credit for politicking. (laughs) Um. Uh, Mountain Dulu, I can, I can, I can chat about some of the, the t-shirt materials and stuff on, on the side. If you want to hit me up or shoot me a message, we can chat about some of my merch t-shirts and stuff. Uh, Diago, it's not your fault, Juan. There were no major news on the US-centric sites. I read this time around. It is no wonder submissions were low. On the upside, maybe this time there will be no cry of foul against submissions as simple copy-paste from non-existing email addresses. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I, I, I think during the agit pie request for comments we saw a flurry of bot and fake submissions like uh I forget how many replies they got from Barack Obama Barack Obama against net neutrality so obviously there was a lot of shenanigans there and I still feel like the FCC needs to do something in how they validate or authenticate some of these comments um, I, I mean on the one hand it's like it's just got to be kind of an open process or an open protocol but on the other it's very easy to game uh, that kind of system so you you hope that that's taken into consideration when they're going through those comments um, Simon says Hypno, how can the net be neutral pinko commie socialists <laughs> I'm not talking about equality of outcome I'm just talking about equality of opportunity <laughs> <laughs> let me take another drink of coffee. That was really dorky. I'm sorry. I apologize
1: for that. Let's get into uh, the rest of this news and stuff. Uh, Oh, actually, I mean, getting into the rest of the news and stuff. Real quick, this is another
0: one that we need to keep an eye on. I am in support of taxpayer-funded programs that help subsidize the costs of broadband to lower-income and disadvantaged neighborhoods. And this is also why I've been viscerally disappointed in past FCCs, where they don't properly map broadband distribution themselves. We're starting to course correct for that. In the past, we just would ask ISPs, do you serve broadband in these areas? And we just believed whatever they said. We found now that those were often lies. Or, excuse me, not lies. They were exaggerated accounting of how broadband was being supplied to areas. For me, this is one of those critical talking points. I'm very engaged socially in a number of causes. It is not my place to speak for disadvantaged communities. I am not a member of many of these communities, and I don't feel my voice contributes to their conversations, I feel would uh, supersede or supplant the actual information we would need to hear from these people. For me, the most important and critical aspect of finding uh, areas of imbalance and of inequality are empowering people to pick up their own megaphone and share their stories. Can't do that if you can't rely on internet connection in your neck of the woods. So right now, and this is this is ongoing, but right now we just got another update. Uh, if, it, if it's posted by John Brodkin over at Ars Technica, my, my big old man crush, you can, you can pretty much count on me talking about it here on the podcast. So this is uh, FCC chair defends broadband discounts for poor people against Republican attack. Uh, this was written up on the 18th FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel defended a low-income low discount program against attacks from GOP lawmakers, pointing out that Republicans criticized an aspect of the program that was decided by Congress, not the commission. That's very important to discern. So the FCC is given a, kind of a limited range of, of uh, authority. And in turn, it becomes a very reactive commission. You have to wait for something really bad to happen for them to investigate, and then they're empowered to do some kind of correction. A lot of the programs, like where the FCC gets money, comes from Congress. And so Congress approved money to help subsidize the cost of broadband... In disadvantaged areas. And this also went hand in hand with all of those promises that ISPs were giving that, hey, if you just give us more taxpayer money, we will roll out more broadband. And then we did. And then they kind of didn't roll out the broadband, but said, hey, we just need so much more taxpayer money. And it would be a shame if the money you already gave us just kind of went back into stock buybacks for our company. If you give us more money, then we'll really do it. Then we'll really roll out more broadband. And so we've, we've been talking about that story too, where there's been a lot of contention, uh, contentious conversation about how these programs are actually affecting citizens. Like, are they really getting the improved services that these corporations are promising? I would say no, but I am not an expert. So Republicans have been blasting this low-cost broadband program but they're trying to pin it on the FCC as if this is a commission that's out of control and they're spending out of control and they're throwing away taxpayer dollars. That's not how money goes to the FCC for a program like this. Congress approved the program, which means the House and the Senate, and at some point made it through where a number of Republicans probably voted on it. So uh, where was this? Uh... Their letter disputed Rosenworcel's testimony at a November 2023 House hearing in which she warned that millions of households could lose Internet internet access if Congress does not renew the ACP accounts. Quote, we need Congress to continue to fund this program. If Congress does not, in April of next year, we'll have to unplug households. And based on our current projections, it'll be about 25 million households we will unplug from the Internet in April. So to keep this program running, we're looking at around $7 billion, and that's a lot of money. But we're also talking about pulling the plug on uh, just under 10%. No, actually, no. I don't know what the population number would be, because 25 million households is not 25 million citizens, and we have roughly 300 million people in the United States. So that could be more than 10% of the United States, of the citizens of the United States, just won't get internet access. <laughs> and this is coming on top of... I, I didn't include it in this in this week's show notes, but um, Dave Burns shared uh, an article on the Discord talking about how Verizon just tacks on fees. Verizon is, is going to get um, penalties. They're going to be charged fines for the fees that they tack on. But they're not going to remove the fees. They're just going to pay the fines. So that means... We know the fines are way less than the fees that they've added to their bill, apparently for no reason, and are against the regulations of our country's government. And they don't care. (laughs) I think it's just like some random $3 fee that Verizon just staples onto your bill. You pay an extra $3 to Verizon for apparently no reason, except to make Verizon more money. And they make so much money on that fee that they'll just pay the fines associated with that fee. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty funny. Um, Michael Corcoran has just a little bit more info on this, too. FCC is winding down ACP, $30 a month subsidy for low-income people for phone or internet, bipartisan bill for $6 billion in funding, unlikely to get a vote in the House. So, yeah, that's where we're at. And also, if you catch the Ars Technica article... I I love John Brodkin's reporting because it is like a link fest. Whenever we talk about FCC, net neutrality, broadband distribution, it's not like we don't have 20 years of policy that kind of needs to be accounted for how we got to this point today. And I think he does a very good job of kind of linking you through. This is what happened last April. This is what happened in a Senate Senate, uh, committee hearing. This is what happened five years ago. And it's not just a densely packed list of links, it's actually a really good flow of how we got to this point and what might happen, that's what we need to keep an eye on. So uh, John's got a great write-up here on Ars Technica. Another regulatory action, but this is kind of the, the opposite side of the conversation, something that I just wanted to touch on. Um, an example of how regulatory uh, changes can affect corporate behavior. Uh, This is coming directly from Meta. This is the press release. A a number of uh, of outlets wrote up articles about this. And the thing that always frustrates me about that is like Meta put out a press release. We could just go to the press release. Instead, there's like someone just summarizing the press release and then maybe they'll even add like some kind of editorialized, oh, I guess this is bad. That's such a waste of my time. Sorry, I'm doing the same thing now. I'm wasting our time instead of just reading the press release. Directly from Meta, offering people more choice on how they can use our services in the EU. Uh, The main takeaways from the article, to comply with the Digital Markets Act, people using Instagram and Facebook in the EU, EEA, and Switzerland will be offered more choices about how they can use our services and features. Also, we are investigating significant resources to offer users these choices and to ensure our ongoing compliance, Um, helping people understand the choices they will be able to make. Over the next few weeks, people will receive notifications that will inform them about their ability to choose whether they would like to share information between our services. Some of the choices that users will be able to make include information use between Facebook and Instagram. People who have already chosen to connect their Instagram and Facebook accounts will be able to choose either to continue to connect their accounts through our account center so that their information will be used across the Instagram and Facebook, or to manage their Instagram and Facebook accounts separately so that their information is no longer used across accounts. And this goes on to talk about the number of other changes coming to Messenger and Marketplace and gaming and how ads are going to be served across Meta's networks and across Facebook and Instagram and all these other services. This, I believe, is a positive outcome based on regulatory pressure. And I'm actually really happy to see that Facebook is getting ahead of this regulatory action. It's not like they're waiting until the last possible minute to flip a switch and then say, okay, now you can cut these services apart. Years ago, when we started talking about how Facebook was entrenching all of their services and tying a backbone through all of their services to make it incredibly difficult to untangle, this is the positive application of EU regulatory pressure saying, you know, comply with this, put some barriers in between these products, or we're going to break you up and you're going to have to do it anyway. We have a few members in our North American political scene, like Elizabeth Warren, who, who might be talking about breaking up big tech. We have nowhere near the, the kind of regulatory uh, uh, fortitude to do this kind of move here in the United States. So now, if you're in the EU, you're going to benefit from this kind of service or this kind of action. You can completely silo your Facebook and keep your Instagram separate, not share cross-pollinate data. You you have this now as an option. I don't believe it's coming here to the United States. <laughs> I think they're going to run. We are getting to a point where, like, EU internet is going to be different than China internet, which is going to be different than America internet. We're, we're finding, like... The, the, the changes that come from regulators in one area have a ripple effect, but increasingly, if we fall too far behind in the regulatory conversation, we're going to eventually get kind of siloed. We're going to get, oh, well, in the United States, we can do all this garbage. They, they haven't made any big push for these kinds of alternative you know, regulations or anything, so we'll comply in the EU. We are compliant. But then in every other country in the world,
1: that's... Well, that's a little different. Now we don't have to follow those rules everywhere. So that's fine. Yep, Al Sabakli. uh, Meta. Everyone else can go stuff it.
0: (laughs) I feel you have summed up the tone (laughs) in the reply of that. Very well. And Nation. The EU is a godsend. Sometimes. I think when it comes to some of these consumer protections of late, I feel they've been pretty consistent. Um, A lot of the major moves here, I I believe have been positive for these kinds of, uh, for, for this kind of policy. Of course, at some point we will have to have frank conversations about regulations that stifle creativity and innovation. The pendulum has swung so far In the direction of terrible consumer policy, I believe it's going to be a while before we really have to worry about government overreach as compared to the actual tangible harms that come from a lot of our big tech uh, data policies. For example, the rampant use of AI and language learning models, this story story coming from futurism.com from Maggie Harrison... Huge portion of internet is AI-generated slime, researchers find. Uh, and I love just the little joke at the the, the first little uh, bullet point. Uh, what do you call that? The part of an article that is highlighted. Uh, garbage pale kids. The paper is yet to be peer-reviewed, but shocking feels like the right word. According to the study, over half, specifically 57.1% of all the sentences on the internet have been translated into two or more other languages. The poor quality and staggering scale of these translations suggests that large language models, uh, powered AI models, were used to both create and translate the material. The phenomenon is especially prominent in, quote, lower resource languages, quote, or languages with less readily available data with which to more effectively train AI models. <clears throat> In other words, what the researchers believe to be a ploy to garner clickbait-driven ad revenue, AI is being used to first generate poor quality English language content at a remarkable scale, and then AI-powered machine translation tools transcribe said content into several other languages. The translated material gets worse each time, and as a result, entire regions of the web are filling to the brim with degrading AI-scrambled copies of copies." And uh, I did not time this. Um, th- this this shirt that I'm wearing right now is like my very first proof. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I'm going to go ahead. I've already posted the shirt live. It arrived this morning. <laughs> it showed up on my doorstep a half hour before we went to stream. And it's just a happy little happenstance that, you know, stories like this are coming out about uh, the dead internet theory. Excuse me. How... Um, Uh, AI-generated content is scraping human-generated content to come up with poor facsimiles of that content, and it's disenfranchising writers to continue making higher quality content. If you really pour the effort into making a great article or a great news piece, investigative journalism, and you know that within minutes of you posting it, there's going to be a whole slurry of copies of your article going out from these sort of terrible AI bots and scrapers and language learning models, that doesn't incentivize you to continue putting in all of that effort and work. It's even harder to monetize your effort and work. And also this is being delivered at a scale where now search engines are starting to cycle AI. So, Something is popular because it's popular, so it becomes more popular and the search elevates it because it's popular. So then other things that aren't as popular to begin with don't get the same visibility. So it kind of separates you out and there's no way to disrupt that cycle because AI algorithms for search and uh, popularity metrics are sort of insular. Something needs to smash through that barrier into popularity before the algorithm will take a chance on serving up this content to people because they want engagement and time on site. They don't care about the quality of the interaction. They actually want people to be miserable and angry. Let me take a quick drink of water here. Uh, uh, Jman 150 is right. I, I should be doing a better job of hydrating here. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people. Producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. I started Tech Tech Potato with a vision. I'd already been covering processes and technology for 10 years as senior editor for Nantech, but only through the written word. With today's media so diverse, I chose to one-up my vision and move to video and explain the nuance of complex topics. Hi, my name's Ian Cutris, and I'm Chief Spud at Tech Tech Potato. The goal at Tech Tech Potato is to have fun, to talk about areas of the technology industry that aren't always covered. Sometimes there are non-obvious aspects to a topic which doesn't always come across in red media, and that's where I strike. The channel is also there to shine a light into the areas that most end users don't even know exist. There's also a tongue-in-cheek joke. processors are called chips, and just like a bag of chips, I like to get my teeth into these things, hence Tech Tech Potato. The thumbnails are stupid, but the content is real. If you're interested about how things in this technology industry work or for reports on behind the scenes events, plus some classic British humor, then head on over. You'll be welcome with open arms. So the dead internet theory is that kind of, uh, not creepy pasta, but there was a sort of like conspiracy theory, you know, like everything that you see on the internet is now garbage. You know, you'll type a search into Google and you'll see at the bottom of the page, like dozens of pages of results. But once you click past, like, the second page, there's no new data there. The the search engine is actually not crawling out around the web to find more results for that topic that you put into the search engine. Instead, it just starts cycling or recycling the same things it's already showed you. Or it's finding copies of the things that it already showed you in the first two pages of search results. And so the, the dead internet theory is this kind of conspiracy-style theory where, like, the web has basically atrophied. That, that there's, it's just rot and decay. And what we're seeing is just this pretty surface-level bubble. And eventually the entire thing is going to kind of crater because you need to supply content to keep people engaged on all these products and services But increasingly, fewer people are really supplying the content, and now these AI tools, and researchers are now starting to study this phenomenon, these AI tools are just regurgitating low effort, just clickbait. And I don't know about y'all, but I have certainly found way less value in searching on Bing, on Google. Uh, I still do fire up DuckDuckGo, and I feel like DuckDuckGo has been doing okay uh, but, like, I go to put in a very specific kind of search, and especially on Google, this is the one that pisses me off, because I still use old-school syntax. So, like, I want to search for this thing minus this thing on this site. And I don't get the site. I get search results including the the term that I minused, which should not be included, and then it's just garbage content. And, like, I can't get to the conclusion of this search on what I wanted to find information on. So... Not great, not 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 great. Um, and this is the other article I just added this to the lineup. I haven't read through the whole thing here yet, but I just wanted to highlight it too as an example of that further impupification of the web. Um, this one coming by way of TechCrunch. Let me get this open here. Sarah Perez: TikTok usage is starting to slow. Is TikTok Shop to blame? According to new data from market intelligence from Sensor Tower, while TikTok's growth remains positive, the growth is decelerating. In 2022, TikTok's monthly active users grew an average of 12% year over year per quarter. But this figure fell to 3% year over year per quarter. And then later in the article, they're interviewing people who um, watch on TikTok, quote, Personally, I'm starting to get really annoyed by how almost every other video on my For You page is someone overhyping a product from the shop feature to try to get it to go viral and make a lot of commissions. Uh, wrote Redditor, you Meg Salad sandwich in September. Uh, quote, it's great that it's a new revenue, it, <laughs> it's great that it's a new avenue for creators to make money, but I find myself scrolling less and less because I know pretty much every video is just trying to get me to buy some random thing. And this is a major aspect of the cycle of impupification, where service starts out, service is really cool. You want to be a part of service. Service starts to scale and gets all of these new users, and then we got to start monetizing. So now we're at the phase of this is kind of beneficial to marketers and advertisers on the service, but it's starting to crest to the other side. When users stop engaging as much with the proliferation of ads and buying and marketplace and all of the distractions from the content, that's when the platform is going to start hammering both the users and the advertisers. And this is what we currently see on YouTube. I I love it because all these tech creators are going to come out of the woodwork and say, oh, if you just don't like ads, you should just buy YouTube premium, but keep supporting my content and give me the money. I get it. I I guess I am against content theft in a particular way that it might be described. But YouTube isn't serving ads to people in ways that empower a company to reach an audience of people who might want to buy their product. That's not what's happening. YouTube is on the other end of this impupification cycle. So ads are bad for the users. Because YouTube is looking to encourage some other interaction where you would buy YouTube premium instead. If you don't want to see the ads, you should buy YouTube premium. So how do we encourage you to buy YouTube premium? We serve you ads that you don't like. (laughs) And we make you watch ads in ways that disrupt the relationship between you and the creator you've, you've opted to follow. So if I were advertising on YouTube, I would be really upset with this strategy because I know YouTube isn't helping me find an audience for my product or service. YouTube is using me as a pain point to encourage people to stop watching my ads entirely. And I'm paying YouTube for the privilege of being used as a pain point. So TikTok hasn't gotten there yet. TikTok is still at that phase where creators are excited about new revenue opportunities and there's new ways of sharing and this viral marketing and all that stuff. And the companies that are doing business with the shop, they're excited because this is still growing and expanding and TikTokers are very active in those communities and they're probably racking up a lot of sales. But once we start to hear some of that ire and once the content starts really just becoming Uh, indecipherable from just ads all the time, then people on TikTok are going to taper off. And that's when TikTok is going to turn the screws on marketers and viewers. That's where you're going to see the same thing happen on TikTok that we've already seen happen on Facebook and YouTube and all these other social platforms. It's part of how Twitter is falling apart right now too and how Threads is, is exciting and new right now But eventually, Facebook is going to have to monetize all that traffic. Setting up those servers is expensive. And they have very high expectations on a project like Threads coming through for them in a world of microblogging and social media. That's going to be a huge pain point for them, making sure that they're monetizing that side of their business too. So I, I just felt like this was a nicely little encapsulated, we can look at the different phases of impupification. And this TikTok is smack dab in the middle. (laughs) They're about to come out the other side of this, and it's probably not gonna be great. (laughs) Paul Purry, time for an ad free TikTok, right? So you just pay them money, and then you won't see ads. And if some if you follow a content creator, but they're only doing sponsored posts or they're only doing, you know, advertisements or, or marketing, well, we'll just cut out anything that, that is properly delineated as sponsored. And all you have to do is pay us $4.99 a month. And now you get ad-free TikTok. So look at how great that is. Don't you not want to watch ads? Well, there you go. Just continue to support our business model of making your life miserable and uh, we'll, we'll remove some of the posts here, which you find objectionable. Nothing could be simpler. <laughs> Pulpery. We'll call it Threads Plus. <laughs> I, we need a good, like, sweater pun, like, unthreaded. You want threads unthreaded? Just pay us $9.99 a month. Done. Don't you get so much value out of arguing with people on the internet? Well, I feel like that has a monetary value. It's
1: 10 bucks a month. (laughs) All right. Uh, Just another quick follow-up
0: story. Again, like so reaction heavy. We've been talking about this for a while. We still need to see the full ramifications of what's going on. But Apple has pulled the uh, blood oxygen feature from the Apple Watch. So they avoided an outright ban. I was in support of the outright ban uh, where they could not sell the Apple Watch for a couple of weeks, but then they they just quickly patched a bit of software. like all of the stuff is still in the Apple Watch to do blood oxygen monitoring, but Apple has disabled it. So now they can sell the Apple Watch again. but this is a pretty significant win for Massimo Corporation, which makes the the blood ox technology that Apple stole. Again, I need to just kind of reiterate in these in these stories. Apple stole IP from this company. The ITC ruled in favor of Massimo and ruled against Apple, and they confirmed, we believe Apple has infringed upon Massimo's intellectual property. Apple is an IP thief. And so what we still need to see play out, and this is going to be years in courts and legal wrangling, Massimo filed their complaint three years ago we still have not accounted for the financial damages that Massimo suffered because of Apple stealing Massimo's technology and using it in the Apple Watch unlicensed. And if I were at Massimo, I would be strongly looking at, like, how big of a check are we going to need? On the little line on the check that lets me write in a number, you might need to make a special check with a really long line for us to fill in all the zeros, <laughs> you're going to have to pay us. But we won't get to that point for a while. So in just the short term, now if you buy an Apple Watch, it will lack this blood oxygen sensor setting uh, feature. I'm really happy. Like, I've got a tick watch. And I can check my... You know, like, let me check my blood oxygen right now. Do, do, do. Love my little tick watch. And let's go down to Mobvoi Fit. Oh, it's so nice being able to just like tick health, tick oxygen. Let's just do a quick scan because you know, like I'm trying to monitor my health. Coming out of the holidays, I put on a little extra weight, but I'm I'm doing walks and I'm trying to do some workouts and stuff like that. And I just want to want to get a good sense of like you know what my health stats are like. And and so I've got this Tick Watch, which is less expensive than an Apple Watch and gets like three days of battery life. That's pretty cool. And let's see. Make sure your watch is properly secured. Hold still. And yeah, I'm doing fine. 98%. There you go. My blood oxygen is, 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 is doing... I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm glad we could take this time to do a blood oxygen scan in the middle of this podcast because you can't do it if you buy a new Apple Watch. <laughs> but, but like the punitive action or the market correction for Apple is going to be how many watches did Apple sell with this infringing technology? Because that is a financial harm to Massimo, who should have been, had a licensing fee attached to every single one of those watches. And until we see a giant number <laughs> on a check from Apple to Massimo, the story's not yet done. So that, to me, is the most important part of, like, we've got to keep track of all these little stages. You, you see something like this, and you think, like, this is the conclusion. This is a terrible conclusion, because this is a health feature that should be on the Apple Watch. For all the things that we do on health tracking and fitness tracking and, like, wearables and stuff like that, I, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure I've got two or three uh, uh, fitness bands like, I got an AMAZE Fit. I also have another Mobvoi. There was the TickWatch GTH, I think it was called. Um, those do blood oxygen measurements, too. In fact, some of them even do, like, funky workarounds to try and get a handle on things like arrhythmia, right? It's not ECG, but it's still delivering some of that other health tracking. Or, or like, I've gotten sort of uh, on, on the TickWatch, uh, because of the way that Mobvoi does... Um, uh, pulse monitoring and they do beat to beat and they do it really well. Um, I also have gotten like, Hey, this is a high, st- you're exhibiting high stress and we detect an irregular heartbeat. If this continues, please seek the counsel of your physician. Like I didn't have to do an ECG. It was already doing sort of beat to beat monitoring, which does reduce the battery life, but like, that's kind of valuable information for a dude my age to kind of keep track of this stuff. So it's a shame. Um, If you're an Apple consumer and you like your your Apple ecosystem and accessories, you should be encouraging Apple to just pay the fees so that you get a feature-complete product because I know they're not going to cut the price of the Apple Watch. You're still going to pay full price for a less-complete product now. Um, That's like the conversation we have to have with family and friends. If you don't already have an Apple Watch and you're thinking of buying one, wait. Wait until you get all the features that it's supposed to have. Don't keep giving Apple money just because you like the brand. Get what you're supposed to get out of each one of those purchases.
1: (laughs) Simon says Hypno stole it and will reverse engineer it. Yeah, Diago, I mean, this is Apple,
0: though. Of course Apple can do this. Uh, Diago says, I still don't understand how Apple can write some code for a feature not to work and call it compliance with the law, all the while selling the gadget that infringed in the first place and update a way of infringing again on another's IP. How is this legal? It's legal because Apple has been lobbying the government like crazy. We talked about this before the final verdict from the ITC came down, that th- in the week leading up, the announcement of the verdict, Apple was in D.C., Washington, D.C., hard, knocking on every politician's door that they could get a hold of, and they were denied a sit-down with Biden directly. This is a company that believes they are important enough to have a sit-down with the President of the United States of America to talk about the court case involving them stealing IP from another company to sell in a smartwatch. This is, uh, what, what is the, was the, Apple Watch is roughly 10% of Apple's revenue? I want to say their wear, or maybe it's their wearables division. So it might be like Apple Watch and AirPods combined or something like that. But we're talking about Tens of billions of dollars of revenue that is generated by this product. And then on top of that, other services that kind of attach to that product. So it's legal because they can throw the money at it. That's it. Apple doesn't need to play fair. Apple can buy uh, the outcomes that they want in most uh, situations. Copacash, everyone on Wear OS can check our blood oxygen. <laughs> I love it, and not just Wear OS. Also, other like RT OSs that include this feature, we're good. If you need to track blood oxygen and and actually, I think you know probably more accurate um, heartbeat, you might well you might wanna you might wanna check out what some of your other options are until the Apple Watch returns. See, I like the Apple Watch. It's actually one of the best wearables on the market. I really don't want to do business with Apple. I'm not gonna buy and own one, but especially for my iPhone using family and friends. I think there's so much value in having a good connected wearable that does all these things and it's easy to set up. I get it. Totally get it. I actually have, what is this? A Series 4? I still have it on my desk. I haven't charged it in a while, so it might be dead dead because we know Apple likes to put in inadequately sized batteries in all of their products, Um, but like, I'm not always just trying to force people to switch. I like to point out when our products don't work together because I think Apple is usually at fault, but... Right now, I'm not telling them to go out and buy Apple Watches, not until Apple gives them a feature complete product, or we see a significant reduction in price, which reflects the omission of a valuable health tracking feature. If you get less, you should pay less. <laughs> Oh, dude. See, stuff like this is so great. Um, Simon says, Hypno says, I used the ECG on my Huawei GT3 Pro to catch supraventricular tachycardia and emailed it to my consultant last week. Being a nerd saves lives. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Because I'm a nerd, and being a nerd saves lives. Um That's great. I'm really happy to hear. And I hope everything's doing okay, Simon. But kind of the same, I I am looking at these trends on tech that I wear on the daily. And it is really nice having that data, having that access. So we're getting into the last half hour here. And I want to not pair these two stories, but just, again, try to highlight how we have these conversations and how the media is so desperate for traffic, And how these corporations are able to sort of manicure the conversation. Um, I don't want to get too into calling people out on social media. Because every time I do that, I feel like it just becomes a toxic debate about he said or they said or she said or whatever. Um, But I feel like the Apple Vision Pro... uh, Excuse me. Apple's mixed reality headset launch. Because Apple made a mixed reality headset, and it's called the Vision Pro. Um, The launch of this has actually been kind of nerd divisive. I would say since the era of the iPhone X, Apple has taken an aggressive step up in controlling the tone of the narrative surrounding their products where it used to be kind of like a handful of influencers and there was sort of a fun vibe, but there was still a bit more openness in the conversation and the access and the disclosures. From iPhone X on, we see a very rigid structure around who is allowed to preview and what are they allowed to say when they preview an Apple product. And now this is expanding into developers. So we we covered this these stories last week, talking about how Apple is carefully demonstrating Vision, the mixed reality headset called Vision Pro, um, to members of the press. But members of the press weren't allowed to take their own photos of it. So all of the language is carefully sculpted. This is why I'm saying Apple is selling a mixed reality headset called the Vision Pro. Because if I were to do that as a member of the press, or if I were to do that as, or excuse me, if I were to do that as a member of the press who had early access to the Vision Pro, or if I was a developer making virtual reality or mixed reality apps for Apple's mixed reality headset, I would not be granted access to future Apple products. And my app would, or my app would probably be declined in the App Store because it ran afoul of Apple's guidelines for an app developer. Guidelines like, you should not use the article the in front of Vision Pro. Apple is talking about Vision Pro as if it's some kind of proper noun person, So you would not say the Juan Carlos Bagnell. You would say Juan Carlos Bagnell. You wouldn't say the Apple Vision Pro. You would say Vision Pro does this. You're not going to call it virtual reality. You're going to call it spatial computing. Spatial computing. Apple Silicon. Spatial computing. No, ARM chips and mixed reality. That's what they are. So when we kind of dig into that initial surge, Apple Vision Pro... Yeah, it went up on pre order. It did not sell out in its first day. And I know a lot of people are going to bend themselves through hoops to talk about how, well, I mean, but that's expected. We didn't expect it to sell out in the first day, uh, really, because it's, you know, people have all these unrealistic expectations and blah, 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 blah. We've been hearing for 11 years, over 11 years now, that Apple was going to save VR. Only Apple could save virtual reality. Only Apple could save augmented reality. No other company has made any product worth considering over 11 years of face computing evolution. No one, forget them all. None of them are worth it. Only Apple, only Apple could do this. And Apple couldn't sell out their run on the first day or the second day it looks like into the third day of pre-orders going live. That's when we finally hit that wall and Vision Pro, that finally, Apple's mixed reality headset was finally out of stock. (laughs) And so we should expect to see like a bunch of articles and headlines, right? So if I put in to Bing, if I search for Vision Pro didn't sell out, I feel like the reporting should have been on that first day, it didn't sell out. It did not sell out in the first day. We're talking roughly between all the different analysts, maybe a hundred thousand to 180,000. That's a big window. (laughs) Analysts don't know how many headsets, uh, how many mixed reality headsets Apple had to sell. So that's a pretty big guess, but this is Apple. And this is a company that puts more marketing muscle behind their products than anyone else. And this is a company that has carefully constructed a media narrative around this product and can't get developers on board and can't sell out in day one with a very limited batch of first wave product. We call Quest underwhelming. The last analyst that I saw We're talking about roughly 20 million Quests are out in the wild. That's more than Xbox, the the current generation of Xboxes. This is one of the most successful game consoles of the current era. The Quest headsets as a collection of game-playing devices. 20 million of those things are out in the wild... Oh, but you know, Apple needs to save VR. VR is just so underwhelming. It's just so underperforming. Just people aren't aren't using it or buying it or gravitating to it. And in all of that hype, over 11 years of pumping up Apple's ability to save VR, Apple couldn't sell out in the first day. And if I do a search for it, Apple Vision Pro sold out, at least for pre-order, Uh, Two days in, Apple's Vision Pro is sold out. That was three hours ago, posted on Mashable. Apple Vision Pro is selling out. I love that from MarketWatch. It's currently in the process of not being available soon. (laughs) From two weeks ago, BGR, get ready. The Vision Pro will probably be sold out soon. What? 13 days ago, (laughs) the hype is eventually it will be sold out, but it's going to eventually be sold out probably soon. (laughs) Uh, Bloomberg two days ago. So I guess maybe we're into a day and a half. Uh, Sold out. Apple Vision Pro deliveries delayed to March in sign of early demand. So I just want to look through all these headlines. Let's see. Uh, Apple Vision Pro brand name, Apple Vision Pro, Apple Vision Pro, Apple Vision Pro headsets, Vision Pro. So BGR, BGR is in dangerous territory here. I would be very worried about uh, if I were an editor at BGR, because BGR wrote this headline, get ready, the Vision Pro will probably be sold out soon. So if I were uh, at Apple PR, I'd be looking at my list of... uh, are journalists in compliance, BGR is not in compliance. They put the article the in front of vision pro. So if I were going to do any outreach, maybe get, hook them up with any kind of access or give them tours or invite them to press events, I'd have to say, you know, you got to fix that headline because it's not the vision pro it's vision pro without the, the. so BGR, I, 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 again, got to talk to your editor. You're re, you're on thin ice. I would be very worried about your future relationships with Apple. And we know how punitive Apple PR can be. And it's not just me saying it. I would highly recommend re-watching that video from John Redinger, where he reported on an early software bug on the iPhone XR, and Apple told him to remove it from a video he published himself showing the issues he had with a phone he bought with his own money. Well, and Apple didn't like that. Apple felt entitled to telling John Reddinger what to do with his content. <laughs> or if you asked, like, you know, again, the pettiness of Apple in all of these media conversations, I absolutely love the situation that arose with Knives Out. It's the Ryan Johnson murder mystery movie. Really delightful romp. It's a fun little kind of uh, comedic drama. And uh, I wrote up an editorial about this too. But Apple, if you use any of their products in your movies, Apple tells you, how the script is supposed to work and who can use Apple products. If like a bad guy uses an Apple product, then Apple will not let you use their products in your movie. Um, So they have editorial control (laughs) over over your content. This is how, um, this this is how lopsided this Apple conversation is. Uh, it can be. So I, I, I love all this. Like even when it's kind of a victory headline, like from Mac world, don't be so quick to judge Apple vision pro, even when it sells out. What does that mean? I, the headline makes no sense. Don't be so quick to judge it. If it sell, even if it sells really well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm judging Apple's mixed reality headset on a criteria of for $3,500, what can I do with it? And we've seen major content distribution channels. They are not looking to build apps and services for this headset, for this mixed reality headset. Um, The first wave, even Apple's own apps, I believe only about half of them are native to, to this new iOS excuse me, that Apple is building into this headset. Um, Right now, I don't see anything that elevates the conversation of mixed reality. The main thing that seems to be some kind of tangible difference from the older eras of MR, um, you had to use controllers or hand grips, something like that. Hand controls were very rudimentary and inconsistent, and very ill-polished. That's changing now. Like, both HTC and Meta have significantly improved those hand interactions. I bet you Apple will do them better. If you sit perfectly still and you hold your hands in certain positions and control the UI that way, I guarantee you that what Apple has done is going to be more sophisticated than what Meta and HTC currently have available. Um, At its most generous, an HTC is still only one-third the price of Apple's mixed-reality headset. So I'm not impressed if my hand gestures in spinning and pinching are slightly more refined and nicer than a headset that costs a third as much and has way less developer support or interest than a headset that costs a seventh as much. So if I spend one-seventh the price... Apple hasn't done anything to elevate the conversation of really using mixed and augmented reality. Meta has an ecosystem of developers that have already crafted experiences. That might not be your cup of tea, but for 11 years of marketing hype, all of these tech journalists that have not really contributed much, if anything, to the conversation of VR, AR, MR, XR are now hyping up this, and they're talking about how amazing it is, but you can't do anything with it. It floats an iPad out in space in front of you, and it allows for multiple monitors out in space in front of you, and we've had that. And we already have that, and you can do a very good version of that. Less resolution, so lower fidelity, sure. That's the thing that's really exciting to me about the Vision Pro launch, is let's say the original estimate from analysts was we're going we're gonna to see Apple kick off with roughly 100,000 units. Okay. That means Sony has been able to scale up development of these 4K micro OLEDs. That's really cool. So once Apple burns through this initial batch of those 4K OLEDs, I would expect other companies to start getting on board incorporating those types of displays into other headsets where maybe we'll see an announcement for a refresh on the Valve Index. Show me some Valve hardware running those 4K OLEDs. I'm here for that. I'm really excited that Apple does seem to have kicked off some advancement in VR fidelity. That's cool. But Apple's own headset, own mixed reality solution isn't doing anything. Apple has not brought those experiences. Apple has delivered a dev kit. And now they're very anxious about seeing developers come into this space and make unique products and services for a dev kit that by the end of March will only have 100,000 participants, maybe up to around 150. uh, The far end of some of these analysts saying, 180,000 by the end of March. I need to hear in the chat if you're an app developer, do you go after 180,000 users of a $3,500 headset, or do you look at the market and say, hey, you know, if we make an app for the Quest, we'll have a potential user base of 20 million people? And right now, Apple is kicking up a lot of excitement over mixed reality. So maybe some of those people that have let their quest gather some dust, maybe they're going to be more interested if we say, hey, we've got some new experiences that you can use on your $500 mixed reality headset. Would you like to come and check them out? Put on your headset. Let's have some fun. I think that's a better business strategy. (laughs) So I'll be very surprised if Apple really can turn the screws on developers to say, you've got to make this an exclusive. That's the danger here. You got 180,000 people, most of them really more in the developer space. Great. Maybe in Gen 2 or Gen 3, we'll see some traction and we'll see this kind of mixed reality take off. But we've already been promised. Apple saving VR for over a decade. And Apple is limping into this market with nothing to show except... You can kind of do the same things you've always been able to do with VR, MR and XR glasses. I'm not particularly impressed
1: Well <laughs> let me take a quick drink of water here <sighs> sorry'm I'm, I'm way behind
0: here. Uh, Dave burns. Oh, Dave is here. Hey nerds. Uh, Dave, please stop calling them press, L-M-F-A-O. They are access PR firm reporters cosplaying as journalists. (laughs) Uh, From Nation, interestingly, on the Verge cast, they called it out as just a VR headset. Um, Let's see. Let's look up the Verge website, though. Verge, the Verge... I'm sorry, it's not Verge, it's The Verge. So maybe they're going to be a little bit more... um, I want to see what any of their head... I can't figure out how to search. I hate their new layout. Tech reviews more. Search. Vision Pro. Let's see if they call it The Vision Pro. Nope, Apple Vision Pro, hands-on. You won't be able to use... Oh! Hey! You know What? I'm, I'm gonna usually I get a little bit spicy or a little bit snarky about the Verge. L- let's let screen share this here, nation. Hey, good good shout out because normally this would I don't think this would be um, quite uh, formatted quite the same way. So we've got the very first Apple Vision Pro hands on again for the first time, and of course they're using the photos from Apple's photographer. I also want to point that out too. All of those uh, influencer and journalist photos those weren't taken by their outlets. Those were taken by Apple professional photographers to do things like minimize the look of the cable that comes off the headset and how the battery pack is not balanced on the headset. You have this soap on a rope battery. Apple manicured the heck out of all of those press photos. But for that first, for for that hands-on, we see the Verge is in compliance. Apple Vision Pro hands-on again for the first time. Every other article of theirs has the article The in front. Netflix app won't work on the Vision Pro. You won't be able to use the YouTube app on the Vision Pro. The Vision Pro's first killer app is the web, whether Apple likes it or not. I, I, I will settle myself down for some Verge snark. I respect that you are not complying with Apple's preferred nomenclature for their mixed reality headset. (laughs) You know what I actually want to see is who makes a really good controller for this headset. Because actually, if you think about it, like, bring over some of these apps. If I were the Beat Saber developer, I can't remember who made Beat Saber. Beat Saber plays on everything VR. Like... Get a version of it out early and people on mixed reality headsets, excuse me, people on Apple's mixed reality headset are very likely, a lot of those folks are very likely people that didn't invest heavy in other VR platforms just because the commentary is against every other headset. That would be a good install base to get people started. But you can't, I don't think you could really play Beat Saber just with hands. Or at least the developers would have to work out a lot of scanning for what is the angle of the wrist. I don't know that Apple's APIs would really empower that kind of experience just with hands. But if you could pair um, any kind of mixed reality controller or or hilt, then I think you could do that better. Because you'd have the sensors in the hilts to tell the headset what's going on with the game. Actually, that's kind of an interesting challenge. I might send a message out to the folks who develop Beat Saber. I'm sure lots of people are asking, when is Beat Saber going to be on uh, Apple's mixed reality headset? Um, But yeah, okay, Nation. Good shout out, man. I appreciate that. (sighs) Gormlord. Because all of us who can see have vision. This is Vision Pro. The next step in human evolution. (laughs) Paul Apple will save VR by making a not-VR headset? (laughs) Uh, Gabaletta, any other launch of any other AR, VR, MR headset would outsell the Apple Mixed Reality headset. So who was it that was just teasing at CES, like, new 4K optics? Was it Pixma? I don't think that headset is going to outsell Vision Pro. And it's going to be really expensive. But I, again, now I look at it and say we can't be upset about an expensive two to $3,000 VR headset because it seems to be fine that an, an Apple headset is $3,500. So I, you know, if valve makes an index and with all of the experience that valve has had recently in baking products like the steam deck, let's say the index two doesn't require a PC. Because the first index was just the headset. It was $1,000. People freaked out. How could it be that expensive? And I still need a beefy PC to power it. Excuse me. So let's say index two is self-contained. Well, I think if you build the computer into the headset and you increase the fidelity of that headset, you could easily double the price of that headset. So let's even add a little extra padding. Let's say the base model valve index is 2,500. Well, who's who's complaining about that? Who's going to fight? Because now we have an Apple headset that is, that's going to do way less than an index in terms of actual practical experiences and gaming experiences and things that are already out there. You can pick up your index and do things with it, and Apple's solution is going to be $1,000 more expensive. I am totally spitballing here. Now, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Valve could say, well, if... If an Apple headset can cost $3,500, maybe we price ours at twenty nine ninety nine. dollars <laughs> um, Yeah, Al Sabakli. It hasn't really been in the media much, and it hasn't dominated media at the release either, which speaks volumes. I like all these people that are coming out of the woodwork to say things like, oh, but... People said the first iPhone didn't do enough and Apple took over and people made fun of the iPad and then the iPad became the best tablet. And so obviously... But there's a difference here. Like people were waiting in line outside Apple stores to get their hands on an iPhone. You know, uh, this phone was crashing AT&T's network. It, It became such a status symbol to use and be seen using it. I don't think ski goggle VR headsets are viewed as any kind of fashion flex device. I know there's going to be a contingent where you know, Apple marketing is really going to try and change that. Apple marketing is going to try and make it seem like putting these things on and, and occasionally wearing them out in public is a desirable, fashionable kind of activity. And I don't think it's there. In fact, I think you know, what we've seen from the success of Ray-Ban, instead, stealthy tech... That blends in with a user's environment is going to be more desirable. And people still act like it's science fiction. When I put on display glasses, just XR glasses, um, that, that it's so light and it's open and your face isn't enclosed in this bulky headset. And they just kind of look like weird sunglasses, but they're not immediately broadcasting that something techie is happening. I think that's going to be a bigger play because that's also what's been promised to us since the reveal of Google Glass. That Apple would make a Google Glass competitor so much better refined with true AR and all these really cool capabilities. Apple couldn't do it. (laughs) Apple failed to get that done. Uh, Let me take another drink of water here. We got a lot of comments. I'm going to try and catch The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by me audio so here's the deal if you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds for the last couple years my work buds have been almost exclusively from me audio excellent drivers fantastic accessories and both my wife and i had our ears scanned by the folks at me audio for custom molded ear tips super comfy The MX line of pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options, and they don't need to break the bank. And the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling Bluetooth earbuds, adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough, We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com, shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at meaudio for hooking up the promo code now Let's get on with the show. Uh, <laughs> Cavaletta, you know what is selling out? The Steam Deck OLED. I really want one. I can't justify picking up an... Oh, I love my Steam Deck. It's, it's by my bedside table right now, and I've been staying up way too late just playing dumb old games. I, I said this a while back. Um, I played through RoboCop. You can't play RoboCop on the Steam Deck. But because I haven't been able to get Spider-Man 2, I went through and I played the first Spider-Man, and that got me itching to go and revisit some older games. And I I picked up copies. I had them on um, PS3. Yeah, I had them on the PS3. Uh, Prototype and Prototype 2. I don't know if you remember the Prototype games, but there was this, this little mini war of open world games and there were guys, there, there were people, I should say, excuse me. There were people who leaned into the prototype flavor, and then there were people who leaned into the infamous flavor. I loved both, but I preferred the um, power ranking, uh, like as you got new abilities and new power-ups. I, I liked the feel of prototype better than I liked the feel of infamous. I'm playing Spider-Man, the, the Spider-Man Remastered. the the first Spider-Man game, and it is such a glorious game. It's amazing. The entire construction and and exploration, and you're swinging through New York, and it really feels like New York, and it's awesome. And I love plugging in XR glasses to play off my Steam Deck, and the Steam Deck keeps reasonably decent frame rates on when you really hit the FSR. But I'm doing all that, and it just gets me itching, like, I've got to revisit Prototype so I get prototype and I fire it up and I'm like, oh my God. It takes me back years and like, I'm, I'm doing those combos and I'm like weird, like vine tentacle things are coming out of my hands. And then I start building up like those like ground and pound kinds of area attacks. It's so good. The storyline is such garbage. <laughs> Like the narrative of infamous is definitely better than the narrative of, of prototype, but like the, just the game mechanics, there's such an early version of what makes Spider-Man so good. And now like I'm playing that and you're like, we absolutely need a Venom game built around these types of more brutal combat mechanics that we had in years past, like prototype and prototype two would be so good oh, I want that so bad. Sorry, shorts are incredibly long. I can't justify buying a Steam Deck OLED right now. (laughs) I really want one, but I'm letting people know I'm probably going to review fewer phones this year because I really want to expand on mini PCs and I need to tackle more laptops when we start seeing that X Elite chip coming out into the market. Um, I'm just not I I, like, I'm going to review phones and I'm going to spend some time with them. I'm definitely playing with one phone a lot right now that I can't talk about until maybe later tomorrow. Um, but the, uh, the whole, the whole landscape right now, I I like what premium phones are doing. I'm really excited about them. You're going to hear me say the same things over and over and over again. If you do more on your phone, you're going to get more out of these upgrades. If you pick up your phone and you do the same thing that you've been doing since the Galaxy S3, It's still going to be a really expensive Galaxy S3. I can't change that for you. The change has to be in you. Sorry. Sorry. Uh... (laughs) Sorry. Michael Corcoran. Don't judge some gadget guy, even if he gets 1 million subs. I I don't get that headline. That headline makes no sense to me. (laughs) Don't judge the Lions even if they win the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, let's see. Diago says it depends. People who buy Apple's mixed reality headset have serious money to spend on superfluous stuff. That could be a nice niche to cater to. With only, I'm going to go with the max. Let's see. The maximum analyst estimate is 180,000 units. I don't think Apple really sold that many but that's our high end of the window. At 180,000 units, I have to believe a significant portion of those right out the gate are developers and then other entities that are looking at Apple's headset for other types of business, corporate, medical, shipping, warehouse, data-centric uses. Apple is pushing it as a consumer-facing product, but if we saw the consumer interest in this, we would have seen them sell out first day. I don't believe the primary angle here on this first wave, this first batch of headsets is really consumer. So I totally agree with you, Diago. I'm sure that there are a not insignificant number of people who are buying it just to have the latest Apple luxury gadget, but I don't think they're going to be a majority there. I think the novelty of that is very limited. And instead, this first wave of headsets is really going to be going out to people that are looking to craft the experiences that will arrive on future versions and hopefully more consumer accessible versions of Apple mixed reality hardware. I already feel like for $3,500, Vision Pro is in a weird place. If you think about it, Vision Pro is a little like uh, a really good phone, but kind of like the Pixel Fold, because it's coming out with an M2 processor, and Apple already has the M3 processor out, and if Apple's looking to continue a, a, a cycle of upgrading components Apple is likely looking at developers who are crafting unique experiences for M3 because that's gonna help them sell more laptops, especially to folks who might have M1s. Maybe your M1 is doing fine. Well, if you wanna do more with it, this developer is making this really cool app or service for the M3. Maybe you need to get an M3 now. But Vision Pro hasn't made it out to anyone yet and it's only rocking an M2. Kind of like our Pixel Fold, Launched with a Tensor 2 right before the launch of the Pixel 8 Pro with a Tensor 3. So the most expensive item that Google sells is less powerful than the newest product that Google sells. The most expensive face computer that Apple sells is less powerful than the current newest laptop that Apple sells. That puts Vision Pro in kind of a weird space. It does help. The cool thing is, again, I'm being really snarky here, but the cool thing is is if you have an Apple M2, you can be pretty confident that some of the more aggressive applications that are coming out for the Apple ecosystem are probably still gonna be decently supported on your MacBook or your Mac Mini or your Mac Studio because Apple isn't gonna want the the Vision Pro experience to fall apart. They're going to want that to have some developer longevity, just like HoloLens has gone on for years, even though Microsoft hasn't even really supported the product, that, that project very well as they moved over to government contracts. So it's kind of a weird spot.
1: Vision Pro is in a really weird place. John Gow, looks like this is the end of Apple and the Verge relationship. <laughs> I, I,
0: I'm going to give him kudos. I, I really would have expected the Verge to, to play ball with all of Apple's nomenclature. <laughs> Al Sabakli, with Apple Vision Pro, you can play Beat Saber with your eyelids. Oh, that would be awful. I would hate that. That'd be the worst. There's nothing more empowering than getting a really good run on Beat Saber. You've got these lightsabers, and you just feel so insanely powerful. And unless you've been doing, like, Beat Saber videos where you mix, you know, the footage from the headset into, like, that cool, like, VR space that people do for their channels. Like, I look at, I, I think about how I feel playing Beat Saber, and I feel like such a badass. And then I look at video of me playing Beat Saber, and I look like such a dork. But you hold these things and you've got these lightsabers and they they move and they float through space. I don't know. I can't I can't really describe it better than that, but it is really empowering when you're in the headset. Just don't ever look at footage of yourself playing VR games. Just ignore that. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> Oh, see, Dave Burns, I mean, like, there are pros and cons here. Um, Dave Burns says, I hate people. Don't build the PC into the headset. You're not wrong, but I am going to fight you a little. What I feel will really help keep VR consistent is start... Because you need to power the sensors. So already there needs to be some component of on-device computing Because I I don't think VR lives if we fall back to the old model of need a giant beefy PC and satellites put up all over your, your room. VR doesn't that, that, that fails. That's already failed in the marketplace of ideas. That's bad. So you already need to have some kind of compute power for the base of just how does the device track its own movements and how does it track movement in space? We build the cameras in so you don't do the satellites and we build the processing into that so that you can navigate the space. And it's also a safety issue. Um, the first layer, the, the, the first software that I played with for Windows Mixed Reality did not do location tracking great. And even at Newegg, where we would have these open spaces, we would occasionally have to like kind of get in between people because the barrier that the VR headset would put up was easy to miss or easy to ignore. And immediately, like Microsoft changed that up, and the update was a lot more like aggressive, like you were at the boundary of safe space for moving around with this headset. Um, you, so you already need to do that. I kind of feel like the recent direction for the quest is probably the better way to go. There's a low-level, accessible baseline of processing power that you can do whatever you want on the headset, but we know we're working with lower fidelity, lower frame rates. We know that it's not as powerful. And I think Meta has done a pretty good job of expanding on support for um, other pass through. So now there's even, like, improved Steam capabilities that Steam is working... Valve and Steam are working with Meta to improve what you can do with the headset if you power it from another device. I think that kind of needs to be the next step for mixed reality. I don't believe Apple's going to do that. I think Apple is really intent on saying, you've got an M2 in here, so it's its own computer... And then if you want, you can get an M3 in a laptop and then use your headset to sort of float windows from the M3 laptop. I don't think we're going to see the same sort of synergy with other services and other platforms and the ability to pass through and use beefier rigs. I think they're really going to focus more on, well, we're using all of this processing power to reduce the latency of using your laptop but it's still you using your laptop. (laughs) It's not the kind of immersive experience that you can kind of generate to improve fidelity and quality in the same way that we can do with meta headsets. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I don't think Apple's really going to look at, well, what other services can people do business with? We don't want to let someone buy games on Steam. We want to keep them in our ecosystem, and I think that's actually going to hamstring uh, Apple's mixed reality headset.
1: Uh, get another drink. Of water.
0: <laughs> Diago, Apple Vision Pro in, in public. No, 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 Diago, it's Apple's mixed reality headset. Please, let's use the correct terminology here. Uh, I'm going to adjust your comment for you. Apple's mixed reality headset, wearing it in public is the hardware equivalent of the I'm rich iOS app. (laughs) Paul Purry, I can see the marketing. Apple Vision Pro sells out. Look at me. (laughs) Oh, dude, Michael, I know the prices are crazy. I won't sell my Steam Deck. Michael Corcoran says, I saw Steam Deck LCD refurbished for $250. So here's the game plan. I'm really desperately trying to hold out until we start getting some of the leaks and rumors on Steam Deck 2. I might cave. I might cave and get a Steam Deck OLED. But if I do, the pricing on the current LCD has dropped so hard... Also, Valve has dropped the price on the LCD Steam Deck, and then the used and the refurbs, the prices have dropped even lower than that. Where I'm really just going to make the play that Marie will finally have her own Steam account, and we'll we'll have to rebuy a few of the games that she really likes to play. But that woman plays Tetris like a beast. Um, I can usually beat her, but I actually have to try. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've sold, I've told this story before, like at the peak of the pandemic, when we were at our most anxious and most afraid, and we'd been in lock lockdowns for a couple of weeks, um, we, we got frazzled. We've never been like heavy drinkers and we still aren't today, but we would both look at each other and just kind of know that we were in bad shape. So we'd pour two fingers of bourbon, throw a big old ice cube in there. And then I would fire up a PS4 and play Puyo Poyo Tetris until we were both just eyes bleeding, ready to pass out. And when we started, I was slow playing Marie. And she was getting really frustrated that I could beat her so easily. It took about two weeks. It took about two weeks where I was getting better. But she was making leaps in performance. In, in playing Tetris. And uh, it, it, I, 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 today... I can't slow play Marie. I will usually beat her, but I really have to try. <laughs> and it's like, it's the thing I think saved our family and saved our marriage. <laughs> Where we had this unified, like, it's combative. I'm not doing couch co-op. Oh, this is head to head. We're sending each other garbage. This is, this is like gaming at its most basic, but also its most viscerally competitive. And uh, I, I really do credit Poyo Poyo Tetris and then later Tetris Effect connected um with helping us through some really hard times uh emotionally and psychologically. Uh but even now today she can pick up J Estris, she can pick up Poyo Poyo, she can pick up um uh, Tetris Effect, anything. And she can just jam. You want to get to 100 lines? She can get to 100 lines. She's doing great. So if I do Cave on OLED, the Steam Deck LCD is hers. And I know primarily what's going to be played on it um but if if i can hold out i'm going to try and hold out for some news on steam deck 2 and then from there uh we'll decide but i'm basically i'm keeping steam deck 1 it's such a good little machine it's so great at older game emulation and it's been phenomenal revisiting some of these older titles that i love to play I I see. Like, I genuinely don't think I would get enough selling mine used, selling mine used, to really feel like it's going enough towards the purchase of a new thing. I'd rather just keep it for our family, and then we have a backup mini PC game console at the ready. I'm
1: gonna take a quick sip here.
0: Uh oh JGJ saying Pixel 8 is going to have a new mint color is hazel green to you. Oh, is the hazel green coming to me? No. I like my bay blue. Actually out of I I, I totally appreciate people who are like, ooh, yeah, new mint color for the Pixel 8. I still would have picked blue, so I'm really happy I got the blue, but right now my Pixel 8 is in its really fancy red case from Peak Design. And uh I love that I have a little Peak Design mini wallet that I can snap onto the back with magnets and it's not mag safe. So you don't really need anything that's Chi 2 or MagSafe to do magnets. You can like prop it up, you know, use it as like a little handle You can kind of set it sideways. I, I, this podcast, not sponsored by Peak Design, but I love the Peak Design case because I also do have the little hard mount that clips into tripods and motorcycles and bicycles. So good. It's really good. And with their little wallet thing, it's it's pretty great. So yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and JGJ also asked a question, doesn't Steam have family accounts? They do. Marie has no account of her own. That's what I mean. We have to set her up, her account, and then we could do a family and then she could share all the things. But I also feel like at some point she's going to want to buy games on her own. So we just got to set all that up right now. I have a mini PC behind my TV and I have the Steam deck and I also have my big beefy PC here. Everything is just my account. She does not have her own user setup. She just uses my stuff. So we just have to kind of open it all up and and let her, uh, uh, like, give her the autonomy of using her own Steam Deck. Um, Gormlord, I think that Xreal has it right. Let your phone power the headset, keep the headset very minimal. I think that's a good trade-off for one cable. I, no arguments for me, because I really do like XR glasses that kind of open up that experience, and they keep you connected to the world around you, but they still deliver content in a really good presentation. And like I said, you pair it with something like a Steam Deck, it's not VR. And I love that it's not VR. It's projection. It's just a really huge screen, but then you play something like Spider-Man or Prototype, like I was saying, and it's a really huge screen, you're moving through this space, and it's so good. And the screen is nicer than what's built into the actual handheld console. So um, we're past our two-hour mark. I still wanted to highlight one little thing as we kind of close out. Um, I have to find my search. There we go. Okay, so I am not a Samsung fan and I am not rushing to pre-order or get my hands on a Galaxy. I have a 90-minute podcast on this channel talking about all of the reasons why I have fallen out of love with this brand. I used to be a diehard Apple fanboy, I was an Apple product specialist for Department of Energy, and then I became a diehard Samsung Knight, and I feel like that cycle became toxic for me. So there's a 90-minute podcast explaining all of the reasons why I'm not a fan of this company for a number of reasons. It's not just personal, but that's a part of it. It's not just professional. But that's a big part of it. And it's not just how scummy the Samsung can be in uh, IP theft, in uh, really distasteful things. 90-minute podcast, you can go and listen to that. I am not impressed with the Galaxy S24 launch. I don't think these products are going to be particularly exciting. I think there's trouble long-term if AI capabilities really take off over the next two years Galaxy S24s might be left behind because of some of the component choices that Samsung is making today. I have a lot of concerns and I have a lot of anxiety about Samsung's current position in the market, and I feel Samsung is doing the most damage to the reputation of premium Android as we see in more Western countries and especially here in North America. Premium Android is losing more and more and more ground to Apple. I put a lot of the blame on Samsung. Samsung should be a market leader, and instead we see a company that's often just copying what Apple does to try and you know, squeeze consumers for more monetization and more accessory purchases and more ecosystem. I really feel we'd all be better off if we had a healthier landscape and tech journalists were doing a better job of highlighting competition. It's not enough to say, this is a good phone. You actually have to highlight, these are features you might care about, and there are reasons why you might buy these other products, and just because this brand hasn't spent $5 billion a year in marketing, it doesn't mean it's not a good product. So that was a really rambling preamble. Where the acid is already flowing into my mouth, and the bile of my guts is becoming vomitous, and I'm about to spew. It's not fair that we have a social media and algorithm industry that decides for us what the window of popularity for a gadget should be. I did my Samsung uh, Unpacked commentary on Threads. Threads was done with Unpacked on the day. So I follow a ton of techies. I cannot feed this algorithm better that I care about Android, I care about tech topics, I care about smartphones, I am engaged in these conversations, I'm divisive on topics like blue bubble versus green bubble and and different ecosystems for developers. I can't give Facebook any better data that I should care about this stuff. And I posted dozens of comments about Samsung Unpacked while the event was happening. 30 minutes after the event, I refreshed threads, and Unpacked was gone from my personal timeline. That is not okay. Right now, we're through that pre-order phase, and product is going to start shipping to consumers, and Facebook, and Twitter, and YouTube have already decided for you that the topic of the Galaxy S24, pretty much done. It's over. No one's talking about it anymore. And we know that's not true. We know that the explosion of conversation happens when people who really spent their money on the phone get their phone And they're able to join this conversation. We know Samsung has prioritized all of the people who had early access to the product because they know those are the people who are most inclined to say nice things about their brand. The real conversation happens now. And so when I fire up a search on Google Trends for Galaxy S24 and I see this Huge spike um, on January 17th when Unpacked was going live, and then it plummets by January 18th, and then is just a solid and consistent decrescendo of interest coming down to the end to today, where it's, what is this? If We're going to assume that's 100. It's almost one-tenth as search viable this morning as it was a week ago. I know that's not real. I know that is the impact of social media algorithms ratcheting down a conversation, looking at very specific individualistic trends and saying, it won't be popular as much in the future, so let's go ahead and cut it off now. I have 2,200 followers on threads, and once I get about five likes, my comments disappear. Like, it's just gone. That is not how people engage and interact. If you had a room with a thousand people in it and you said something to five people around you, there would probably be at least a secondary or tertiary spread beyond those five people. So we know that the algorithms are not working in the interest of actually fostering the conversation. We know the algorithms are deciding for people what the trending topic looks like and how long that trending window will be established. I'm not going to do a ton of coverage on Samsung. I'm going to try and play with an S24 Ultra at some point, but it's not high on my list of priorities. And I am loving my time with the Vivo X100 Pro and the one and the OnePlus 12. I almost stuttered like, "Am I allowed to say that I've got it? I'm allowed to say that I have the OnePlus 12? I just can't show you the screen." Those are going to be some primary conversations for me as we kick off 2024. And then I'm going to hopefully also spread out some more time with laptops and tablets and, and mini PCs and stuff like that. But I will eventually play with an S24 Ultra. I'm sure it's going to be a fine phone. I think it's going to be too expensive for what you really get, but that's Samsung. And if you know that, then you know that. You're, you're not going to get any revolutionary, mind-breaking conversation from me because we already know what this thing is and we already know what it can do. And we, we've seen this before. But that doesn't mean... That we should see this spike and immediate drop off in conversation, that—that's fake trends, as purported by YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. That's not real. So as all of these devices start making their way out into the ecosystem, this is my plea, where we used to have a subreddit. I shut down my subreddit because I very much disagreed with Reddit's business practices, and I just couldn't, in good conscience, continue to support their platform. But this is still the mission of what glowing rectangles, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. This is still the mission. Where you've got to make the effort to find the content creators that you appreciate their commentary, you've got to help them spread the word. You've got to help them boost their content. You've got to help them reshare. You've got to help them flow. I am in a chat right now of people that I know are already doing this, and we've got to spread that message to the next tertiary boundary of tech geeks around us. Because right now, Threads is winning. I told you about my friend at the beginning of this podcast. Oh, I just hate it when people get so argumentative and divisive. And uh, why can't you just like what you like? What about that? That didn't get any likes. Next comment from him. Oh, look at this idiot who posted something so stupid in my comments. That got 10 replies. What do you think that guy's going to do in the future? He's not going to say the nice thing and really support the idea of voting with your wallet and liking what you like. He's going to look for the next dopamine hit. And the next dopamine hit is, I can't wait until someone says something really stupid in my comments and I can point it out and, and, and get a whole bunch of people to pat me on the back for not being stupid like that guy in my comments. If we don't build the conversation that we want to see, Threads is going to build it for us. Twitter is going to build it for us. YouTube is building it for us. And we don't want that. We keep saying we don't want that. We need to continue to be the change we want to see in the world. So um, I feel like that's probably where I should go out. Let me get another drink of
1: water here. We can wrap all this up here. And I'm just going to quickly scan some of what's going on here. Just take a second. (sighs) Oh, Nick Gay, you're absolutely right. Juan, it's not fair if you're looking at Vivo X100 or
0: OPPO Find X7 Pro. I bet they have died as well. Android doesn't get the engagement it deserves. And this is a part, a failure of the tech journalism industry because they ride these hype trains because that's how they monetize. So they have gone from... A, when I started, it was a system where we knew an Apple story was going to get a ton of traffic. But that was the traffic that was going to subsidize us talking about an entry-level moto, which would never get as much traffic, but we wanted to be a fair reporting platform. And I left pocket now when we started having those conversations about things like camera reviews, where it was like, hey, you know, if you do a camera review on this, like, you know, inexpensive Chinese phone, it's not going to get as much traffic. Maybe we should only do camera reviews for iPhones and Galaxies. And as soon as I heard that in a pitch session, I knew I am not the person for this job, and I am not the right fit for where this site wants to go. So that's when I started an exit strategy to look at going solo again. So, um... (laughs) Diago, that's funny. Um, Sorry. Uh, So, I... I I I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm actively trying not to get super doom and gloom. And I really want us to focus on those positive experiences and those positive outcomes, but it's getting harder and harder. And we're seeing so many more content. Scott Peachy is, is, I don't know if he's going to come back to live streaming. I loved his stream. Technically speaking, he shared a a camera reviewer recently who was talking about just the burnout and how he's walking away from uh, reviews on his channel. And he's going to be looking at just like making content again. And like, there's so much of that out there and I don't know how to express it other than to just keep pointing it out like this that like, you know, you're, you're seeing the warning signs, you're seeing the canary in the coal mines, you're seeing the problems with this current uh, flavor of social media and it's going to harm our hobby. It is harming our hobby. It is harming our lifestyle, but it's going to keep getting worse. And if we can head it off and we can make some little bubbles that kind of help protect the type of content and conversation that we care about, we'll weather it. But if we don't get ahead of those issues, we won't. And then these things are going to crater. And that's not what we want. We don't want that. So, um, again, I'm always very appreciative and I'm always very grateful for the people who show up here every Monday to hear me ramble on about this stuff and whine and complain about tech and politics Um, But even when it's a product I don't like and I see this kind of trend, you know, uh, uh, time after time after time in the media, why is it so hard for us to kind of get that message out? Why is it so difficult for us to call out market manipulation and media manipulation and PR firms that have outsized pressure that they can levy against consumers, journalists, and politicians And there's so little of that that actually contributes to the conversation. Instead, it's whatever the main talking points are from the company are really all we ever seem to hear in the conversation or in the the market. So I want to leave it off right there because we've got some really cool stuff coming up. Um, I'm playing with a rugged laptop. That's going to be rad. I just did a video on a battery, a solar generator. I've got two phones that are just rocking my socks right now, are just so incredibly performant and and are going to be brutally competitive options here in the United States and internationally. And I want us to be able to kind of highlight that fun. I've been talking to TK because we're both tired. We're tired old men. Um, But for both of us, it's like, If we're not talking about stuff that's fun, why are we doing this? And so uh, I'm actually going to try and have lunch with them next week and we're going to sit down and chat about what else we can do to kind of strategize on this stuff. So um, I want you all to have a great week. There's going to be some cool news coming out this week. Probably tomorrow. I don't know. It could happen. Um, And I do apologize for what's about to happen to your YouTube feed. Uh, But in keeping with that, if you're upset, With the quality of suggestions coming from YouTube, now would be a really good time to look at getting an old school RSS feed reader and putting in the content creators you really like so that your feed of content is unique to you free of the YouTube algorithm standing on your neck and even better than a bell icon that Google won't notify you even if you smash that bell icon. I get notifications on my own channel like two days late. Uh, If you really wanna be up to date on when new videos drop, you can put a YouTube channel into a feed reader and then as soon as that video publishes, you get an alert, you get get your feed perfectly timed and synced up with what's really happening out in real time. So uh, yeah, uh, if you want, I'll make a video on that, how to make your own YouTube algorithm with an RSS feed reader. Sometimes you just gotta go old school. So folks, I want you to have an amazing week. I want you to do awesome with your technology. I want you to be awesome with your technology. Please keep up with all of the amazing content creators that are gonna have some killer content over this week. There are tons of conversations, There are a bunch that I just kind of laid off. I haven't even covered everything yet. Live streams every day, videos every day. These people are making the cool stuff that you like to watch. They need your support now more than ever. I'll catch you back here next week for another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. Be safe, take care of yourself so you can continue to take care of others, and I'll catch you back. I love you all. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly betterphotosbook to grab your copy today day.